0: Thank you for joining us for the study of God's word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through his word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Genesis chapter 5 we'll be looking at four verses in Genesis chapter 5. Then The primary text for the morning message is found in the New Testament book, the Epistle of Paul to the Colossians. So we'll be going from Genesis to Colossians. Let's go ahead and read together. You can read it silently as I read aloud. Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 and following. And Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Keep your place there if you will. And let's go to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to look at verses 6 and 7. In the New American Standard, this is the way they read As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. During the 14 years that I was a resident of Tarrant County, one of the highlights of every day was picking up the Fort Worth Star-Telegram and reading it. I went, first of all, to the sports page. That probably doesn't surprise anybody who's been around me very long. But another part that I looked forward to was a one-frame cartoon simply entitled The Lumpets. The Lumpets were amorphous beings and they were beings who were inevitably negative. And one stands out in my memory, one Lumpet is saying to the other, I only wish that I was as familiar with the thrill of victory as I am with the agony of defeat. (laughs) Do you ever feel that way about your relationship to the Lord? Do you feel like you are defeated more often than you are victorious? We know, intuitively we know, that we are to be victorious. This is the victory that overcomes the world, the Bible says in the book of 1 John, even our faith, and we are told in the book of 1 Corinthians that We are to be victorious because of the victory which Christ has won for us. However, many times we don't find ourselves anywhere near that, we who have committed our lives to Jesus. It's very clear that the Christian life was never designed to be stagnant. Not like the lumpets we are to be, We're to be people who are not always looking at the dark side of things and assuming defeat, but claiming our victory in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Too many people don't enjoy victory because they have not gone past the nursery of Christ. It's as if infantile paralysis has taken hold of most of us who know Jesus Christ. The result is wanting to give up on the possibility of growth. I would be very surprised if there were not several people present this morning who have really given up on living a life of victory, walking in victory over sin in your life, in victory over depression in your life, and all kinds of things which drag us down and when we stop and think about, we know they're not to be part of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life is designed to be dynamic. And by that, I don't mean having a perpetual smile on your face and not being real when you do encounter trouble. What I'm saying is, is what the Bible says, that the Christian life is by its very nature to be a growing life. Things that are alive are dynamic, aren't they? They're not always exciting. And the Christian life sometimes is lacking in excitement, but it's always full of opportunity for growth. We know the book of James tells us that we are to count it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And endurance has its perfect result, resulting in our being mature. So part and parcel of being a follower of Jesus Christ and part of the process of our becoming more mature inevitably requires trial in our lives. I don't think there's anybody who volunteers for trials, but we have them, don't we, when we follow Jesus? And we need to recognize this is part of the life, but the overarching purpose of being a person in Christ is to be victorious for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Enoch was a man who is described as walking with God. At the age of 65, my first child came into our lives when I was 27. I was young and I began to feel old after his being in our house for about one week. (laughs) Then came the second child and I thought the first one was demanding interrupting all kinds of things in my schedule, especially sleep, you know what I mean? But she was much more demanding than he was. It's interesting that in the book of Genesis, the scripture in describing Enoch says that he became the father of Methuselah. Let me pause before I forget this. The name Methuselah suggests this, when you look at it in its meaning in Hebrew, it suggests when he is finished, it will come. Do you know if you calculate the years between the birth of Methuselah and you follow this particular genealogical study in Genesis 5, the year he died, guess what came The flood came the year he died. And so he was a reminder that judgment was coming. Isn't that interesting, the precision of the Word of God, even in the names. Many times when I get to the genealogical tables, I'm thinking, i got to zone out for a while here. There's nothing in here. I don't know anything about these names. I can't pronounce them. But we make a mistake if we just fly right through them or just speed read them so that we'll feel better about ourselves that we read it all. There's something for us there, and there's something here in Methuselah. That's an aside. But then the Bible says, then Enoch walked with God in 300 years. That would be an implication that maybe he didn't walk with the Lord until he had a kid. Many times, people's lives have a seismic shift. I would say most of the time when that first baby comes, right? And it's nothing that you're really prepared for. You love your child when the child is born. And you're challenged, of course, along the way to give up on that love because of who you are more than the child. Because the child's just being a child and raising children is a joy, but is certainly laced with challenge. So all the days, the Bible says, of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch is the patron saint of all who hope to walk with God. He is the picture of someone who walked with God. If you'll turn now back to the book of Hebrews for a moment from which we read I would like for you to take one more look at what the writer of Hebrews says in the 11th chapter about this figure Enoch. Verse 5 of chapter 11 of Hebrews says by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death And he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And why was he pleasing to God? Verse 6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This man, Enoch, was a man who sought God. Remember what Amos says about seeking God? On behalf of God the Father, he says, Seek me and live life eternal. Having a relationship with God, becoming what we call a Christian, is directly related to a growing sense of wanting to know God and sensing God and consequently seeking God. I hope you know that the catalyst for such a desire is God seeking us first. The Bible says there is no one who seeks God, not even one. Paul quotes one of the Psalms when he speaks of that in the third chapter of Romans. Nobody takes initiative without the work of the Spirit of God to move us in that direction but we seek the Lord. We show faith just like Enoch did. And we are men and women who experience the grace of God as we follow Him in this way. So Enoch walked with God. Now let's go to our primary passage for further elaboration on what it means to walk with God. We're going to look at the ingredients of walking with God, what is characteristic of the person who walks with God like Enoch did and like we are aiming to do, we who know Jesus, to walk with the Lord. And then we're going to look at the outcome of walking with the Lord. Look at verse 6 of Colossians 2. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Notice that... Paul emphasizes having received Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, the Lord. Jesus must be your Lord. This is where we stumble. There are many people who believe, I've just got to embrace Jesus as gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and I want to come to Him and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Certainly that's true. But in the encounter that we read in the book of Acts, when the Philippian jailer is confronted with what he thinks is the end of his life because prisoners had evidently escaped under his watch from the prison that he was responsible for as he slept. And we know among those prisoners was one Paul and his sidekick Silas who had been singing praises, the last thing he probably heard before he went to sleep, I'm talking about the Philippian jailer, he probably heard them singing hymns, praise to God. And their reason for singing was because they loved the Lord, but also they had been beaten and placed in stocks in the bowels of that jail. They were probably so physically stricken no pun intended that they could not really sleep well and they praised the Lord and he overheard what they were singing and they weren't singing Kumbaya by the way they were singing something much better than that I don't know exactly what they were singing but I have confidence that they were singing scripture they were probably singing the Psalms and. The Psalms, especially which were pertaining to the presence of God and His strengthening them, and even maybe even the 51st Psalm, where is, we have David's penitential psalm, or the 32nd Psalm, where he confesses his sin and he talks about the need to come before the Lord. And when he finally sees that these men, whom he had mistreated or at least overseen the mistreatment of them in their being flogged he says to them what must I do to be saved do you remember that and what was the answer that Paul and Silas gave believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved you and your house is that what he said Well. Minus one very important word. The name of Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I believe the order of the words is very important. You must have Jesus as your Lord before he can really be your Savior. And what I mean by that is it's not like one comes before the other, but it's the idea of our embracing Jesus and recognizing that He is the one to whom we owe everything. And when we ask Him to come into our hearts, we understand the qualification. The quality of that request is that we ask Him to be Lord of all of who we are. And we thank Him for being willing to save us from our sin and give us the gift of eternal life. Looking again at the section in Colossians 2 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. That simple statement, walk in Him. It's a command, it's a present tense command. And this is much more powerful in the original language of the New Testament than it is in English, because what it means. And we're going to look at some other places, by the way, in the writings of Paul, where we are told to walk. The Christian life is described as a walk. Picks up on the metaphor of a journey or a pilgrimage in the Old Testament. All the people who know God from those who knew Him in the Old Testament, as we call it, Enoch, and all the people of faith there, up until our day everybody is on a pilgrimage we're on a walk, and the scripture says here keep on walking in Christ this is what it means to really be a believer and a growing believer we can't take it off what I mean is there's no vacation from our vocation what is our vocation Let's think about that word. We don't use it very often anymore. Vocation, the word is derived from a word in the Latin language, which means I call or to call. So we are people who've been called. And Paul writes about that under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says in Ephesians 4.1, he says, I, I adjure you, I, I beg you, to live a life worthy of the calling of God. And the question is raised, what is the calling of God? Is that something that is just for a few of us? Or is it for every one of us? It's for all of us. It's for everyone who knows Jesus. We hear Christ speaking to us in our hearts, and then we turn to Him, and we give Him control of our lives, that's lordship, and then the result is we are called, we have a purpose in life. You have a job, and that is your vocation, but it's secondary to the primary vocation of the people who know Christ, and that is to represent Him. There's nothing more convincing in the lives of people who don't know Jesus, when they encounter a believer in Jesus Christ with whom they rub shoulders regularly in a workplace or in a neighborhood or in some kind of civic endeavor, there's nothing as powerful as a man or a woman who walks in Christ. And we're gonna see what that looks like as we work our way through this passage. But your primary calling, if you know Christ, is to walk with Him how frequently? Making it your lifestyle. A lifestyle of walking in Christ. And this does not mean that we get down on our knees in front of people and pray at certain times of the day. What it means is we pray without ceasing. We're in communication with the Lord. We're always looking for opportunities to represent Him in a practical way, and then given the opportunity when hopefully somewhere along the way what Peter wrote in his epistle might happen to you. Always be ready to give an answer to those who ask you why you're so hopeful. And prior to that, the Bible says in that same verse, in 1 Peter 3.15, it begins this way. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Sanctify, what does that mean? Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. This should be the rule of the day for us. And it's not a burden. Actually, it's liberating when you cast all your burdens on Him and you say, Lord Jesus, would you please do in me what you want? Intend to do in me so that you can do through me what you want to do through me and what happens when that happens we're different Jesus among other things says in what we call the Sermon on the Mount he says be different from them he was talking about people who were not descendants of Abraham Gentiles they were called and we who know Jesus, most of us, not the vast majority, but most of us are people who come from Gentile backgrounds. Some of you have some Jewish heritage. Praise the Lord for that. But we who come from that kind of background, the Gentile background, were those that Jesus was addressing when he says, Don't be like them. And he was referring specifically to the way in which they prayed. They just said the same thing over and over and over again, kind of like a mantra in Eastern religion. And just fixing on that, fixing on that. Not anything dynamic in terms of a relationship with God. He goes on to say, not only should you avoid being like those people when you pray and doing everything else, he says, unless... Your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If we are not going to avoid hell and go to heaven, what do we need to be? We need to be people who are different from the world. How do we become different? We become different because God saved us out of darkness brought us into His marvelous light. He has crowned us as a royal priesthood to be His servants wherever we are. In our homes, certainly the most primary area that we exhibit or should exhibit our Christian faith. But also in the various jobs we have in our civic organizations, all those kinds of things. We are to keep on walking in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me divert from the text a little bit and everything I'm sharing with you is from the scripture and I have prayerfully considered which scriptures to use to talk about these ingredients. All of them have to do with walking. With God, Here's the first thing to remember. And this should come as no surprise to you. We walk by faith. That's what Paul says, isn't it? Second Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is forsaking everything in favor of following Christ. We see in Hebrews how this man Enoch walked with God, and he was no more. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Some of you are familiar with the name Amelia Earhart. Miss Earhart was a phenomenal human being. She was the first woman to solo fly an airplane across the Atlantic. And then a few years later, she, along with her navigator, a man named Fred Noonan, decided they were going to fly around the globe. No woman had ever gone around the world. They found themselves in New Guinea on the coast, the eastern coast of New Guinea. They were getting ready for the longest leg of their flight, 2,556 miles to Howland Island. That's a long way to go. And this is far, far, far short of the time of navigational advantages that are there for pilots today. And she was lost at sea. The theories that came included that she and her navigator had lost fuel and lost their way a bit, and they landed on some of the many remote, uninhabited islands in the Pacific and they were there waiting for someone to find them. And some people went so far as to say they died there because they died of starvation or they died just because they lived there and nobody ever came. There's some of those islands evidently or were for many years that were never even known that they could have gone in to for safety. Most believe that they crashed and sunk to a watery grave, but people for years hoped for her return. Enoch, when he went to be with God, he never came back. You know the book of Revelation talks about two witnesses that come and confront the Antichrist and all his organization. Remember those two? And they're able to perform incredible miracles. But there comes a time, according to the book of Revelation, that both of these individuals who are unnamed are put to death. And they have their bodies as a taunt, really, and to show the whole world they are just letting them decompose. And then after a few days, they come back to life, right? Do you remember a name that was attached to either of them? There is no name. Most scholars believe one was Elijah, and Elijah is the go-to guy, the name that is always used as being at the apex, the top of the pyramid as far as prophets are concerned. He didn't die, did he? He was taken up to heaven in chariots of fire. Remember that story in the book of 2 Kings? Wonderful story. It's not just a story, it's truth. The other person is generally believed to be Moses, because Moses is the one who was used by God to author the law. So in the two of them, we have representation of the law and the prophets. Those two terms are often used in our Bible, the law and the prophets. Well, I beg to differ. I'm no scholar, that's obvious. But I do know what the book of Hebrews says, that it's appointed on man once to die. And after that comes the judgment. I believe, no doubt, Elijah was one. He had to die, didn't he? And then face the judgment. He was a wonderful man, a godly man par excellence. But he was a sinner. Everyone since Adam has been born sinners. But what about... Enoch, the scripture says he died, doesn't it? Didn't die, rather, he was taken up. And so, just for what it's worth, it's not worth a whole lot because it's coming from me. But I think the other man's Enoch. We know Moses is described as having died. He was buried. There was a fight over his body, remember? Between an archangel and the devil. And we know who won. The archangel won that. So we're to walk by faith. How do we develop faith? The Bible says faith comes from hearing and the Word of Christ. Hearing comes from the Word of Christ. We have at our fingertips a book that's a living book and the primary person that it focuses upon is Jesus Himself. Jesus says as much in John chapter 5, verse 29. You search the Scriptures. He's talking to the Pharisees who are His opponents. You search the Scriptures because you believe that in them you have eternal life. And it is these Scriptures which bear witness to me. Amazing, isn't it? Old Testament and New Testament bear witness to the person of Jesus Christ. So we can hear the voice of Christ mediated to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Do you hear the voice of Jesus? Now we're not talking, hearing an audible voice. I'm not saying that's out of the realm of possibility. But we have scripture, don't we? And if we, as we've looked at recently, when Moses talks about God speaking, He says, God spoke to Pharaoh, and he tells the story in the ninth chapter of Exodus. And when you go over to Romans chapter nine, Paul doesn't say, the Lord said, he says, the Scripture says. And what's he saying? What is Paul saying when he says, the Scripture says? He knew full well what Exodus 9 did, but under direction of the Holy Spirit, he says, the Scripture. What is the Scripture? It's the voice of God. That's what it is. Speaking to our hearts. Listen to God's voice. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 30. And this is a beautiful passage. The Bible's beautiful in every respect. But this is very encouraging to me. Look at verse 20 of Isaiah 30. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, He, your teacher, will no longer hide Himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. And your ears will hear a word behind you, this is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left you feel like you're lost sometimes, I'm talking about you as a believer, wondering what you're to do, begin to cultivate an ear to hear from the Lord. And the best way I know to do that is to put yourself in a position to hear the voice of God. He's the one who decides when to speak to us about specifics in our lives. But if you have a desire to know God and to grow in God And to overcome stagnation in your life as a follower of Christ, not to be perfect, but grow. Read your Bible. Open your heart. Don't just read here and there. Read through books of the Bible. Because every book was written with a purpose in mind. And the writers do a wonderful job of giving us the message that the Lord wants us to have. And this is one of those Messages, And this is something that kind of baffles me a little bit. In verse 20, we're speaking of the teacher. He will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. In the Bible, we're told many times that no man can see God and live. Remember when Moses encountered God in the burning bush And God spoke to him. He didn't see God. He saw this bush of fire that was not consumed by the fire. But God spoke to him. Your staff, your church staff, has been reading a book entitled Knowing God by J.I. Packer. This is the third time I've read the book over the span of probably 40 years. It's a great book. And we were talking recently about the whole matter of knowing God and seeing God. How do we see God? With this quandary that we're put in, no man sees God and lives. This is one of the things we have concluded. Dr. Packer doesn't talk about it. But we, as we put our heads together and ask the Lord to help us, Lord, to understand how we can see you. Because we want to know you. and We need to see you, Lord. And one of the things we discovered in the book of Ephesians, the Bible says this is a prayer that is prayed by Paul. He prays that the Ephesian believers would have the eyes of their heart enlightened. We can see God with the eyes of our heart. Our hearts, when we come to know Christ, before that we come, they're dead. The writer of Ezekiel says, I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. We're dead spiritually, as I've already mentioned, when we arrive in this world. But what God does miraculously, He does heart surgery on us. He gives us a new heart. And that heart is a heart which can see Him. Now we know... When Jesus was asked by Philip, Lord, show us the Father, that's enough for us. And what was said in response? He says, Philip, there's a certain amount of exasperation, I think, in Christ at that point. Philip, have I been so long with you and you still don't know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ so that we could see God, see who He is. In the beginning of the book of John, the Bible says about Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And of His fullness we have all received, all of us have received And Jesus explains God to us is what John says. He tells us who God is by what He says, but by who He is. None of us have seen God with our eyes, but we see Him with our heart's eyes. Do you know Him in your heart? Do you have a relationship with Him? Do you know Him? And you know when He is speaking to you? as we are promised He will speak to us. From Isaiah 30, when we're walking, I can't tell you how many times, I don't want to go there, not enough time. When I was dabbling with the idea of going against God's will, and I had this distinct message, don't. It wasn't elaborate, don't. And where did that come from? Well, it came from, knowing the Scripture, but also from the Lord speaking to me. Stop it. Don't do it. Because the Lord knows when we do things that are outside His will, we're skating on very thin ice and there's detriment ahead. Listen to His voice. In order to do so, we have to agree with the Lord, don't we? To be men and women who walk by faith, we have to agree with Him. Amos 3.3 3 says, How can two walk together unless they are agreed? When I put my hand in the hand of Jesus, and by the way, He's got us in His hand right now. My sheep hear my voice, I know them. No one can take them out of my hand, He says. We're in His hand. We agree with Him. And we're to keep our appointments with Christ, too. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, God the Father came down at the time He normally came down in the cool of the day, and He was walking in the garden. It does not say specifically that He walked with Adam and Eve, but I cannot help but believe He did, because He came down there and walked in their turf, didn't He? I can see Him holding each of them, By the hand. One on one side and the other. And walking with... Wouldn't that be sweet? And they lost all that. When they disobeyed God. One way. Only one way. One sin separates people from God. And we need to understand that. We need to walk by faith. Here's the second thing. And it's like the flip side of the first. We need to walk by the Spirit. The Bible says, If you walk by the Spirit, You will not... Fulfilled the desires of your flesh. The flesh means my own selfishness, my wanting my way, my thinking I have a better way, my thinking that what God says to me about what it means to follow Him and the benefits of following Him are really not true. Maybe I can say they're true in my head, but I say, Lord, surely not denying me of that or this, or the other. And so we need to keep our appointments with the Lord. The most important moments of my day, and yours too, if you know Christ, is spending some time with Him, worshiping Him privately, getting ready for the day, waiting to hear from Him. writer of Isaiah says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of a disciple so that I may know how to encourage The weary one with the word. Are you weary? I get weary, don't you? On a regular basis, I get weary. This was a battle we're in. It's a hard life to live. It wears us down. Even though we're walking with the Lord, we get worn out. But we walk by faith. Look at the book of Ephesians. Just a couple of epistles right before this. Let's go to the fifth chapter of Ephesians. We're going to look at verse 15. Look at what it says in verse 15 of Ephesians 5. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as men, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Are we living in evil times? All this transgender junk, all the things that are communicated in the press, all these things. This is an evil era in which we live unbelievable. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We hear him speak. He elaborates what his will, he lets us know. And verse 18 says, do not get drunk with wine for this is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what that means. And the key here, walking by the Spirit, is what the Scripture says. What does that mean? Walking by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And what He does, He transforms us and we become more and more like Jesus, whom He represents to us. Back in chapter five, if you haven't lost it, I've already turned back to chapter four. Uh, Two rather of Colossians, but let's look at another statement in this same chapter five, the first part of verse two. What does he say? After he says, Therefore, be imitators of God, his beloved children, and walk in love. Keep on walking in love. I'm going to use one application of that in the interest of time. Keep on walking in love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul describes love in various ways, but one aspect of it is that love keeps no record of wrongs. I was either listening to or reading, I cannot remember which, probably listening on the radio to some commentary on forgiveness, a little minute or two exhortation on forgiveness. And I was thinking about people in my life. People that are farther away from my life are people I'm more likely and quickly to forgive. As I was doing my own inventory. But the closer I am to people, the more I, and I'm confessing some sin here, so don't get close to me, okay? <laughs> so the closer I, closer I am to people, the more <laughs> unbending I am in the area of forgetting wrongs. That's wild isn't it? My own nuclear family it's just down to my wife and me now. I still have a son, adult a daughter, adult and I get along with them a lot better now than I did when they were at home. Talking about my kids, I love them to death. I do. Not to death, that's a bad way of saying it I love them. (laughs) But I got to thinking, why is it, Lord, that on the natural level, it's harder for me to love my wife and my children than it is with others when they have offended. Now notice this object, me. There's a problem, me. So we need to be aware of that. And I thought, probably the reason is because we expect more of those people than we do of others. We expect them because we have given to them that they're going to kowtow to us. But the reality is we're to love them all the time. One of the things that's helped me in loving people, I'm not talking about my family particularly now, but all people who are Christians and we expect more of each other and we should as Christians, shouldn't we? Yes, we should, by all means. But one of the things that has helped me, I read a book by a man named Bruce Milney. It's got to be 30 years plus ago. And it was on the subject of fellowship, and this is what he said, When I interact with a believer in Christ, I'm interacting with Jesus Himself in a way, because Jesus lives in that person. And that changed my whole perspective when it came to thinking about how I am to relate to brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all rough around the edges, aren't we? We all exhibit immature behavior. We have blind spots. We're to walk by the Spirit. Here's the third thing, walk in endurance. As a young pastor, a very wise deacon spoke to me and the other deacons who were present, he said, we need to remember the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I've taken that to the bank. I've quoted him, if I've quoted him once, a hundred times. And it was a good saying. But as I've grown in the Lord and moved forward, I I take exception with that. It's not even a marathon, it's a walk. And we saw from Isaiah 40, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall, actually the literal Hebrew is sprout wings like eagles. Fly, with the, fly like an eagle. Run. And then what is the final condition? Walk. When you're out of gas. It takes a lot just to take one more step sometimes, doesn't it? Independence upon the Lord. Walking in the Spirit not running in the Spirit. We follow the Lord, and we trust Him. And He never fails us. He's always there with us. The outcome, let's get back to Colossians. Colossians, the outcome. Chapter 2, verse 7. Having been firmly rooted, let's stop right there. The idea of being firmly rooted conveys this picture. Look carefully at what I'm saying. Once you are rooted in Christ, in other words, once you give your life to His Lordship as your Savior and your King, once you do that, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You cannot be uprooted. The reason I say this with such fervor and commitment is because I understand the language here. It escapes us in English. The idea is being firmly rooted is and can never be uprooted. That's the idea. That's encouraging, isn't it? And now being built up, this is a process that goes throughout the entirety of our lives. Just like we're to keep on walking, we're continually being built up in Christ and established in your faith. Here again, we are continually being established in our faith. This is a word which doesn't necessarily focus on our knowledge of the fact we've asked Christ in, but we also need to continue to grow in our understanding of the faith of God in Christ. As you were instructed, here's a key, Paul instructed the Colossian church and Jesus Christ and Paul and the Holy Spirit Do that for us today. We've been under the instruction of the Holy Spirit to the degree, in the instruction of Christ, to the degree that I have accurately presented the truth here today. And so the good news is we have that instruction and it calls me back. It calls you back to the Word of God. Not what you feel, what you think, what you see or hear in public on the radio or TV. Look at the Word of God. And hear the voice of God as He speaks to you with gratitude, overflowing with gratitude. I grew up on the banks of the Mississippi River. And there were times in the spring when there had been heavy rains upriver when the river, this massive body of water, got out of its banks. You know what I mean? Got out of its banks. There were no longer any barriers in the form of the banks of the river. That's the kind of gratitude when we understand whose we are. We belong to Jesus Christ, whose we are, and then consequently who we are. We are children of the living God, and we are men and women whom He has called to be His representatives in the world. And someday, He's going to call us out of death into life, isn't He? We're going to meet Him in the air when He comes again. Whether we're alive or we've died physically, we're going to meet Him in the air based on what He has said. The Christian life is not to be stagnant. It's to be dynamic. And we are responsible for our positive result to the command that we have read today keep on walking in Christ let's pray oh Lord help me not to be just a teacher of this truth but a person who even at this late date in life am still striving to be more like Jesus I know it's not by might nor by power but by Your Spirit that You do any change in our lives or do anything through our lives, Lord. But help us all want this for our hearts, for Your glory, Lord. Help us to walk in You and in Your love. Amen.